Great to be with you, and a privilege as always to be able to spend some time in God's Word today. And I'm as, as surprised as you were to find that there's an armory across the way, so afterwards we can fill the church armory uh, with the offerings. And uh, we've got our camouflage pallbearer at the back there, ready to lead you and recommend for you what you might need after the service. So, um, always a privilege to be able to spend time and. Uh, just to seek the Lord, and we're going to be opening to John in chapter 7 this morning and continuing our study together as a church in the Gospel of John. And before we do that, I'm going to just, once again, just pause for a word of prayer and just, uh, as we have been already, worship the Lord, but also just uh, be in full mind and reminded uh, of our place and position before the Lord, just to hear from Him and Him alone this morning as we uh, seek. And so... Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, thank You again that this morning we can gather, we can worship, we can sing, we can praise, and we can pray. And I thank You that we worship today a living God, a God who is alive and well, a God who does not need to be sung into this room, uh, but says and declares, where two or three are gathered, I am there. And so we thank You. And just pray this morning that we would just allow You to be about Your purpose as You desire to mold and shape each and every one of us, that as we open Your Word, again, guard our hearts from any form of intellectual study when we know that it is a, a spiritual endeavor to listen to You, to Your Spirit, the only One who has understanding. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to hold that which You have for us this morning. And so I pray with hearts bowed low that we would listen to You alone and anything not of You would just go in one ear and out the other, but that we would... Uh, hold on to those words of life that You've preserved for us today in Your Word. And for that, we thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, well, we're going to be opening, as I said, to John in chapter 7 together. And it's a lengthy chapter. There's a lot here. Uh, but as always, though we may not have time to touch on every little part and parcel this morning, our hope always is by the end of this morning that we would be able to gain a fuller understanding of why God preserved these things for us in, in the Word. And this morning as we open to John chapter 7, I just remind you that as we go through the Gospels, these people that wrote to us who had firsthand uh, experience, walked and lived with Jesus, while many of the Gospels follow the, the, the life of Jesus, what Jesus did, where Jesus went, often... Many of the writers had different purposes. And John's purpose specifically is the use of a word that isn't found in any other of the Gospels. And that is a word we're going to see this morning that I remind you is the word sign. And that word sign in the Gospel of John didn't just mean a wonder that was accomplished. It actually meant an attesting miracle. John was specifically writing and showing us all of the things that Jesus did where He performed not just wondrous things, He performed miraculous signs that pointed out to the fact that He was the Messiah, the Christ, that had been promised that they were all waiting for. And so this morning, we are going to see that come about again. But as it is, we're going to see it and hopefully get there in our context as we're going to see it surround a feast that we're going to look at and see what Jesus was doing in the midst of it. John 7 and verse 1 says this, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, 
for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. Now Jesus, notice, in the midst of the context here, as the, his disciples are now going to go up to the Feast of Booth, something we're going to look at this morning uh, briefly together. They're going to go to a feast. He is not going to go. Why? Because he knows and is confident his time has not yet fully come. Jesus knows there is a place and a time and he knows when and where he is to be. And we're going to see why that is in a moment as we continue reading John chapter 7. But we need to understand this. He knows that now is not the time. And something I am always needing to realize in my walk is that my time often is not his time. I want Him now. I want Him to reveal Himself on my time. I want Him to fix my problems on my time. I want Him to fix my difficulties on my time. I want His financial provisions on my time. I want Him to restore relationships on my time. I want Him to heal wounds in my time. But here's Jesus. It's not my time. He knew. And throughout the Gospel of John, if you remember having just come off a time in which he implored his disciples to get into a boat after feeding the 5,000, they sailed off while he went up to a mountain to pray. And they found themselves in a storm and in utter despair. And you'd wonder, here, they'd be wondering, where are you now, God? Where are you now, Jesus? <laughs> Here's where Jesus was. One, on the mountain praying. Two, it says, then standing on the shore watching. Lastly, on the sea walking right near them. We may not only always see God. We may not always feel God. We may not always experience God working in time, in our time. But here's God praying, watching, and near to us, though we may not even see it. Though we may not even feel it, ready to save us at what? In His time. It tells us in that story that He was walking on the sea and was prepared to go by them. And then they cried out, first in fear. And in His time, they welcomed Him into the boat. He calmed the seas. He may not have come in their time, but He came in his time. And part of His time was not just about them being saved from a storm. It was about them knowing who He was in the full. 
It actually tells us that after he calmed that sea, that he couldn't believe that they had not yet understood what had happened in the feeding of the 5,000. That they had seen Jesus, seen the miracles, walked with Him, eaten with Him, gone with Him, heard Him, and yet still couldn't fathom who He was. And I love how the Amplified puts it, is when they say, Jesus, is that You? Here's what it says, I am. Isn't that great? I am. That's what He was trying to get through to them. That He was not just a prophet, the Son of God, the Christ that they had been longing for. And now He knows it is not yet His time. And while He sends them on, once again, just as we note in that storm in the boat after the feeding of the 5,000, so now Jesus, while they've gone to a feast to celebrate the things of God, (laughs) while they may think He's Far from them, secretly, He's oh so close. It says this, John chapter 7, verse 10. It says, When His brothers had gone up to the feast, He Himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking Him at the feast and were saying, Where is He? And there was much grumbling among the crowds concerning Him. Some were saying, He's a good man. Others were saying, No, on the contrary, He leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of Him for fear of the Jews. It goes on and says this, John chapter 7, verse 14, But when it was now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. And the Jews were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? Jesus answered and said, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. And if anyone is willing to do His will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the One who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. It goes on in John 7, verse 19, and Jesus responds and says this, Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered and said, I did one deed, and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. And if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. As it goes on, it says this, verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man who are they seeking to kill? Look, he's speaking publicly and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know that this man is from uh, where he is from. It says, but whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Jesus cried out in the temple teaching and saying, you both know me and know where I am from and I have not come 
of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. And they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? Now remember this, that word signs is attesting miracles. The crowds were saying, listen, when the Christ comes, He's not going to do more than this one has, are they? To, to attest to everything we are looking for? But notice in the midst of it, Jesus has said these things. One, my time is not my own, but the Father's. He's waiting for His time. He said this, listen, my teaching is not mine. It is not my own but His from above. So the words He speaks are not His own. And when they begin to ask from where He's from, He says, I have not come from Myself, but He who sent Me, My direction is not My own. Everything Jesus does is sourced in the Father Himself. But what's important here is this. In the midst of all the evidence, Jesus' revelation that He is the Messiah, wherever there's revelation, it demands a response. And what's telling here is the response, both of the crowds and of the Jews who were in leadership, the Pharisees of the time. Because as He begins to reveal Himself, they begin to be put in a point and place of crisis where they have to choose their own religion over the righteousness that Jesus is proclaiming. They're upset that He would heal someone on the Sabbath. And I, without going too deep, I have to say this. Remember the laws that, that the Jews were so fearful of breaking God's laws that they began to create their own laws around God's laws. That is, they made offensive laws around the laws so that they couldn't accidentally break them. That is, when God said in His law, never take the Lord's name in vain. They said, listen, what if I accidentally am walking down the road, I stub my toe, just as I'm saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and I say, oh darn, my toe, praise the Lord, it comes out accidentally, now I'm cursed and, and damned forever. I got the answer. Let's take out all the vowels out of His proper name so that we never say His name again. Because if you don't say His name, you can't accidentally say His name in vain and now you can't accidentally sin and be damned in vain. Do you see what I'm saying? And so they created a religious book called the Mishnah and that Mishnah created a fence of human laws are all around God's laws so that they might maintain their righteousness. Here's God. <laughs> On the Sabbath, the seventh day, God rested from His works. So too you should rest. So what did they do? Shoot, God said rest. And if we don't rest, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to miss God's mark. So they said, listen, we need to rest. And we all know you can't go on a holiday. You come back feeling less rested than when you left. Then you need another holiday. So guess what? No traveling on the Sabbath. And it was all built on precedent, case law. So as they would make decisions, some wise one would come back and say, well, listen, you said we can't go on a journey on the Sabbath. 
So how long's a journey? So the religious community got together and would say, I know, a hundred paces. That's how long's a journey. No one can go more than a hundred paces. And so they'd say, fine. So no hundred paces. And then it said you may not carry a burden on the Sabbath. That's not rest. And so they came back and said, wow, what's a burden? (laughs) Am I allowed to clear the dishes from the table? Am I allowed to carry uh, my laundry from the washing machine to this? And so they had to get together. And so the wise men got together and said, I know, four dried figs, that's a burden. Anything that weighs more than four dried figs, that's work. So now, no more than 100 paces, they could go 99. No more than a load more than four dried figs. And the list went on. What you could eat, what you couldn't eat. Uh, Many of you know we spent 13 years living in Quebec, at which time we spent that entire time finding out that we were not gifted with languages and then got kicked out of the province. Uh, But listen, go to the Jewish General Hospital in downtown Montreal, one of the biggest and best places for healthcare. And on the Sabbath day, the elevator stops on every floor going up and down on the Sabbath because pushing a button is lighting a light, which is lighting a fire, which is work on the Sabbath. These things are not breaking God's laws. What were they breaking? (laughs) Man's laws around God's laws. And they had become so angry that Jesus would do God's work on a Sabbath. It appeared He wasn't resting. When all this while, Jesus was proclaiming true rest. Listen, hey, you wonder what my words are from? (laughs) They're from the Father, not my own. You want to know where my direction comes from? I was sent by Him. My direction is His, not my own. You want to know about my time? It's His, not my own. He was resting. While so many were so busy trying to do the works of God, it all comes back to the conversation that that in our study that we would have read in which Jesus came across in that boat after having calmed the sea and the people said, how do we work the works of God? And do you remember what He said? Here's the works of God. Believe in the One whom He sent. So busy trying to religiously do for God instead of resting in the source that was God. Now this is going to come full circle because as those Pharisees begin to mutter in anger about Jesus, who He was, what He was doing, and how He was doing it, everything He was doing here was in the middle of the Feast of Booths. A great feast. Now I want you to note this, that whenever we read about a feast, for the Hebrews, they had three things. It was always... One, a present celebration. They were often called yearly to mark and celebrate a feast. And that feast would have two things. One, it was a present celebration. One, to remember the past provisions of the Lord. And two, to prophesy about a future provision of the Lord. Think back. They would always yearly celebrate Passover. They were going to, uh, remember, 
paint the blood of a lamb on the doorpost to save them from the angel of death that would free them from slavery out of Egypt to become a new nation under God. A feast of the Passover. One that, that would mark God's incredible salvation past tense of what God had done. And they were always to remember. But I always have to remember that when Jesus sat at that table and, and they were having that last Passover together, He said, listen, remember, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of Me. Why? Because all that they were celebrating of God's past provision was all a foretelling of what? Christ's future salvation, a spotless lamb that was going to come and by His blood save them from the angel of death. And so too now, the Feast of Booths, what was it? Read back in Leviticus and for time's sake we won't. It's called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles for this reason they were reminding themselves of God's provision for them as they circled in the desert. And so for eight days, they would all go and make for themselves temporary huts. And there were rules because they loved rules. The huts had to be made uh, in this way, but not that way. It could shade from the sun, but not be under a tree because that's its own dwelling. It had to have a roof, but couldn't have a roof that would block the rain. And so it went. And so... For eight days, they would all go out of their homes, make temporary huts, and live in them to be reminded of the time that they lived in the desert being provided for by a faithful God, even in their disobedience. And so it was a yearly celebration, a celebration that took on new meaning when at that Feast of Booths, Solomon actually dedicated the new-built temple in celebrating now a home for the presence of God. And so they would mark the provision of God in their time circling the desert when they had no home. They would also mark God's incredible provision of now a stable home for His Spirit. And I want you to note something that would happen every year at that festival when they would come. And I want you to listen to this. Every day of the festival of tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, listen to this, the priest would descend down to the Shiloak accompanied by the congregation assembled in the temple. There they filled a golden flask of pure water ascending back up carrying the flask with song, the gathering entered back into the temple through the water gate, one of the gates on the southern side of the court. And it received the name water gate for this very reason. It then says this, as they entered the gate, their steps were greeted by the sound of trumpets and sofar blasts. It then goes on and tells us that they would go on and they would pour that water onto the altar. They called it the great libation. And now, in the midst of this, I want you to hear what one historian said about this part of the celebration. It says this, Whoever has never seen the celebrations of the festival of the water libation has never experienced true, true joy in his life. Doesn't that put it into context? So note this, during the Feast of Booths, as they're celebrating what God did past, Every day the priest goes down, gets water out of the, 
the, this, this ancient stream, brings it into the temple with great celebration and pours it on the altar to resounding praise. The foundations of that practice, listen to this in Isaiah and chapter 12. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you are angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in the day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on His name. Isn't that great? In that day you will go to the springs of salvation and what? Draw water. Now let's come full circle because it's in the midst of this feast. It's in the midst of this celebration. It's in the midst of all of this that in John 7 and verse 37, what does Jesus say? Listen, on the last day of this great feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this He spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Isn't that great? Here we have an incredible celebration of God's provision and God's incredible salvation as these priests are pulling up water and pouring it on the altar of God in the temple of God. And here's what we need to hold on to today. The Pharisees were stuck. Though God, Jesus' revelation was all around them, they couldn't see it because they were so stuck worshiping what was previous, the celebration of God's past provision, that they refused to see God's present salvation. Singing the joys of the springs of water of God's salvation on the altar. The longing for a quenching of that thirst that they were missing the source of that salvation, standing with them in their very midst. Jesus says, listen, if anyone is thirsty, and I think today, this is the danger, that in our church today, we can get so caught worshiping what was. Past tense. Christian lives filled with the celebration simply of this God's forgiveness through Christ the Son. Good and right and holy and pure, yes. Something to be celebrated, absolutely. But only half the story. Because if we get stuck simply celebrating on what God did that day, that's the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. Wasn't it great? True salvation comes in meeting God, not in just what He did, 
but what He's doing. Jesus said, come to Me. Because forgiveness was only the first step to a life of salvation. That is not just forgiveness from sin, the provided ability to walk away from it. Breaking the chains of it. Walking in life and not death. That comes not in an old celebration, but embracing the new meaning of the source of Jesus Himself. Not just having one drink, but learning that when you drink it, that He who believes in Me, as the Scripture says, from His innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. Becomes an understanding of what it means to reside in the source of it. And so I ask the question today, have we become those who simply sing the songs of what Jesus did yesterday? Or are we those mindful, looking and watching, preparing for what Jesus is doing today? Thank you for your forgiveness. (laughs) Thank you even more for the ability to walk in the newness of life in a lifestyle of forgiveness. Thank You for provision. Great. Thank You that today You are alive and well, Lord, and that I can walk with a God who's a great provider in every moment, every day, in every situation. Thank You, God, for what You've done. Thank You even more, Lord, for what You're doing and what You will do. The Pharisees couldn't see it because they were so stuck in what God did that they failed to greet what God was doing. Where are we at today? Because today, we don't just know satisfaction of a one drink. We know this, that today we have access to the source of life. Come to Me, and now I will not only serve and make your thirst go away, but through you I will become a river to meet others' needs. You become from a taker to a giver when you allow me in. The conversation is going to go on, as will our study in the Gospel of John, because they didn't want to see it. And today, we too, when we're stretched out of our comfort zone of faith, our ideals and ideas of righteousness, we too will be stretched. But today, Jesus is making that same offer. Have you come to Him? Is the Christian life about the religious signs, symbols, services, prayers, and songs? Or the life that is the source? We know Jesus had the source. It was all in the Father. In everything He did. My words are not my own. My time is not my own. My ways are not my own. And He simply longed that they might walk likewise. Today I pray that we'd all allow the Lord to put His finger on our hearts and show us those areas where we've yet to embrace not just living for God, but embrace the life that means walking with God in a way that allows Him to be a river of life today tomorrow, and every day 
Because circumstances change, but God never will. He's always there. Always will be. And even at times, in the midst of a religious celebration, a boat in a storm, we may not know He's there. There He is. It may seem in secret, but in His time, He'll be revealed if only we'll allow Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that today You are a God whose purpose is to reveal Himself. And in the Gospel of John, You have been revealing Yourself. And I pray that as You this morning press Your finger upon each of our hearts in those areas in which perhaps we like the Pharisees get so comfortable in our religious ways, in our uh, religious duties, in our dedication and commitment that we can miss You in the midst of it. Thank You that today You provide meaning and substance to old celebrations. That today we sing songs about life and about abundance. Thank You that we praise You. Not just looking back, but looking ahead. Knowing that You are faithful. And that with hands and arms wide open, You long to embrace us and give us these many things if only we come to You. May we be those humble servants. And we just pray once again that You will have Your way within us. In Jesus' name, Amen.